So we are starting a new series called Harvest. Harvest. And um, you guys know I, I am big on Matthew 28. We're going to touch on that briefly, more so next week. But today, my subtitle is this. Everyone's invited. Everyone's invited. All right? That, that person uh, at work that drives you crazy, yeah, he's invited. That, that, uh, that Karen at work, she's invited too, believe it or not. There's going to be some Karens in there. But um, everybody is invited. And I want to tell you about a parable that Jesus gave. So turn in your Bibles to Luke 14. Not all of the scriptures are going to be up there. Some are just going to be references because it was a lot, and I didn't want to overwhelm you with text up there. So just open your Bible app, or we actually have, yes, that is at the end of the sermon. Yep. We actually have uh, a church center app. If you go to the App Store, click church center. Uh, that's got a bunch of stuff that you need too. But uh, the wedding feast, I want you to listen to this, Luke 14, Luke 14. Now, Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. By the way, he's at a party when he says this. He's at a party, okay? So everybody, you got a picture. Everybody say, he's at a party. Okay, he's at a party. He noticed how everybody chose places of honor. And he said to them, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor unless someone more distinguished than you is invited. <laughs> And he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to that person. He's saying, listen, that would be embarrassing, right? If you came and you sat at the table of honor and then the host were to say, hey, this is actually for somebody else. I need you to go down there, right? So picture that. But when you are invited, sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. Everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said also to the man who had invited him. Now he turns to the host, okay? When you give a dinner for a banquet, don't invite your friends or your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, unless they uh, just invite you back and you're repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. One of the things I said a couple weeks ago in a sermon, right, is one of the measures of our love is how we treat people who can pay us nothing in return, who can pay us nothing back. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Jesus is always talking about the, the future, the wedding feast that's coming. We're going to come back to that a lot today. One of those reclined at the table heard these things. He said, well, blessed is everyone who will eat of the kingdom of God. He's kind of giving a counter argument to Jesus. He's like, well, blessed is everyone. In the kingdom. It's like 2021, everybody gets a ribbon, right, Jesus, though? I mean, come on, right? By the way, I was at a chili contest last night, and Jesse got the ribbon. Everybody just give Jesse a hand. We're so proud of you. It's really a spiritual gift. I'm just up. Okay. So blessed is everyone, but he said to them, well, let me tell you a story. A man once gave a banquet and invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come for everything is now ready. But they all began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please let me be excused. Another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen. This next one's really funny. Excuse me, I married a wife. I can't come. <laughs> Just going to let that sit. 
talked to the boss, and she said no. The ma- <laughs> I'm married. All right. Then the master of the house became angry, and he said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets in the lanes of the city and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. So he makes the same argument, right, the same idea. The servant said, sir, what you've commanded has already been done, and there's still room in the party. And the master said to the servant, go to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in. I want my house to be filled. You know, Jesus is the master here. He wants his house to be filled. For I tell you, none of those who were invited first shall taste of this banquet. Now, there's a lot of layers in the, in the word of God, right? So the first layer is the obvious that the gospel, that, that God, his message was first given to the Jews and they rejected him. Some did receive Christ, but many, for the majority, they rejected him. So who then did, did God go to? Now, to the Gentiles. All are invited. Hence the sermon title, Everyone is Invited. All are invited to God's party. But notice what he says, the second thing, we must come to the party thankful, not prideful. Because, see, just like back then, you guys know people have not changed in 2,000 years, right? So they're vying for position. I'm just going to wiggle my way up to the seat of honor. I'm going to wiggle my way up, and, and, and I'm striving, I'm vying for position. But the problem is Jesus wants us to understand that all of us really don't deserve to be invited to the feast, that we all, he says, sit at the lowest part and, and, and understand that it's, it's a privilege, it's a joy to be invited to this party. In fact, let me just ask, how many of you, especially like during worship today, you're just going, Lord, I am so thankful you invited me. Just me and Donna, that's awesome. Well, I'm just going to preach over here the rest of the time. How many of you, this side, because you guys are definitely more spiritual than that side. It's like, I don't even know if they know the Lord at all. Um, how many of you are so thankful God invited you to the party? See, the seat, now that's how it works. Everybody over there, this is how it works, okay? Guys, Jesus doesn't define us by our mistakes, our sin. He knows they're there. He acknowledges them, but he doesn't define us by that. He invites us despite that. I love what Andre said when he was preaching here last week, that grace found that woman before the law could accuse her. And if you missed that message, you need to go on, on the website on rockofgrace.org and watch it because it is so powerful. Jesus, the epitome of grace, the, pers- the uh, personhood of grace, finds us and invites us to the party. And you have to know, this had to offend the people who were sitting right there vying for position. The Pharisees were always offended. Always offended. By the way, your, your, your offense level, how many of you guys have been reading uh, The Bait of Satan? I know there's three life groups reading it. Yeah, so about 20 of you just raised your hand. Yeah. Come on, that book is good, right? Because the more you realize how easily you're offended, the more you realize how maybe how grateful you got to return to what spiritual maturity looks like. It's to give and not demand. God is love and love has invited you to his party. Love wants to forgive you of every sin that makes you feel terrible on the inside and filled your heart. I've talked to so many people over the years. When, they, when the Holy Spirit gets a hold of them, and they just don't want that in there anymore. 
They don't want regret in there anymore. They don't want to replay the past anymore. How many know what I'm talking about? Because you said, yeah, that was me. You don't want to replay the guilt and the shame anymore. And guess what? God doesn't either. And he can heal you of that. And this is for everybody. It doesn't matter if you're on top of the world or the bottom of the barrel. It doesn't matter if you were the class clown or top of the class. Straight A student, the jock, the artist, doesn't matter. You're invited to the party. You're not left out. You're invited. Somebody say amen. Lamentations 3.22, the author is going on and on. We're going to come back to this about his grief and his sorrow. But then what does he say? The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercy never ceases. God's love for you doesn't just stop. I've said this many times. I want to say it again. On your worst day, he doesn't love you less. Come on, let his love. This is what the, the heart of the gospel is that when you see how good God is, you just want to surrender to him. Amen. It doesn't matter what you believed and how you've maybe misunderstood God. Maybe you thought he was out to get you. Maybe you thought he was angry. Maybe you thought he was a tyrant and he just wants to control you. No, 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 no. He is your father who loves you so much. He sent his only son that all who believe in him will not die, but what? Have everlasting life. He loves you. Turn to that same person behind you and say he loves you. You see, the reason this series is called The Harvest is I'm believing for a harvest today. I'm believing that if there's somebody here that you're far from God and maybe you're invited, because I, I mentioned this last week, this series is a great week, a great series to invite some friends. And maybe you're far from God or maybe you're like, you know what, I'm religious. I've gone to church a lot, but I don't know what you talk about talking to Jesus and Jesus being real to me and loving Jesus. Well, you can experience that today. But here's the thing, love is not love until it's demonstrated. Me and Danielle started dating when we were 15. She just kept flirting with me and wouldn't stop. And I just, you know, I'm like, listen, girl, you got to let it go. And then about age 17, I was like, all right, I give up. It was nothing like that. Um, I was like, so me and you, that's literally how I asked her out. That was it. Ask her. Like, that was it. I was like, me and you. She goes, it was like a bobblehead. It wasn't even a yes. It wasn't even a yes, guys. It was just like. She told me later she thought I was asking about another girl. And so she was just as confused. Like, I don't, I don't even know. But I just know I got her. Come on. Tom, I got her. I reeled her in, you know. Taught her how to play guitar. And you teenagers, listen, let me tell you. I'm just gonna, this is not in my sermon. So this, is, this must be gold right here. You want that girl, right? You teach her to play guitar. You honest. I'm like, hey, you want lessons? Why, why yes. Yes, I'd, I'd love lessons. But you, what you do, you put your hand around. <laughs> Showed her how to strum the guitar. Come on, Courtney, you see. Say, I see you. You know. Okay, it was awesome. She's like, oh, he's kind of cute. All right. That's why, why did I say all that? Oh, here's what I was saying. Love <laughs> is not love until it's demonstrated. So what if I was like, you know, I go to Bible college and I'm like, Danielle, I love you, you know, 18, right? Second year, and I'm 19, hey, I love you. 
I'm 20. Hey, I'm in my third year. I love you. You know, I called your dad. He said, wait. I said, it's okay. I am faithful. I said, then, well, I'm 21. I said, I love you. And, but, you know, we're, we're just not going to get married. We're just going to play cool. And then at 25, I said, Danielle, you know I love you. You know, I'm just going to be gone for like a month, you know. 28 years old, I'm like, hey, I love you, but, you know, I'm going to be gone for a few months in Barbados, you know, but I'll be back for you. How many of you guys realize she would not believe I loved her? You know why? Come on. I got to commit. I got to put a ring on her finger. Right? Jesus demonstrated his love for you. While you were a still sinner. Romans 5, 8 says he demonstrated his love. He put a ring on your finger. And he sent Jesus to be your bridegroom. He sent Jesus to die in your place and to say, I'm going to win back a bride. And, and if, when you accept Jesus, you're committed to that one day having that wedding feast with Jesus. Come on, somebody say, I'm getting it. Right? It's amazing. It's powerful. Love is not love until it's demonstrated. And God demonstrated his love for you. That was all my intro. So I hope you're ready for a long day. No, these next three points I'll shorten up. Here we go. God's love saves us. So number one, God's love saves us. Why? So we can come to the party. By the way, you're invited before you get your act together. Again, that's the gospel. You're invited. You don't get your act together so that you can have a relationship with, your, with God. God forgives you when you come to him to have a relationship with God, and he makes you right with him. We can see in the Bible, John 3, 16, right? God loved the world, sent his son so you would have everlasting life. God is saying, I love you so much, I gave my only son to die in your place, taking the punishment for you so that you and I could spend eternity in heaven forever. God wants us to choose him. He wants us to love him in return. But listen, he can't make us. He will not force us to love him. He's given you a free will, but he speaks to you by his spirit and he whispers and he says, hey, open your Bible. Hey, I'm talking to you. Hey, I love you. Hey, while we talk today. Once you shut the radio off, once you shut off Spotify today on your way to work, let's just talk. Let's just pray. And he's speaking to you. He's inviting you into a relationship. God's word says it was just in time that he saved you. So how do we know we need saved? First, let's look at this scripture in 1 John 1.8. 1 John 1.8. If we claim we have no sin, we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all wickedness. If we claimed we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Look at the message translation. He'll forgive our sins, purge us of all wrongdoing. If we claim that we've never sinned, we are out of contradicting God. We make a liar out of him. A claim like that only shows our ignorance of truth. I love the message version. See, I don't know about you, but I know I needed saved. Even growing up a pastor's kid, even growing up somebody that was shown the truth and shown how to honor people and, hey, honor your teachers, you know, respect your authority, uh, don't take your, your sister's candy bars, you know, all those things. Don't do this, don't hit back, don't. Be, even though I was taught, I come to this understanding right at about age 13 that I had to repent of my sin. 
I didn't have to just know what to do. I had, I had sin. Everybody put your hand on your chest. I had sin, right? I had sin that had to be repented of, that had to be admitted. But I was getting an invitation to the party, an invitation into knowing God. And so for those of you that were maybe invited by a friend today and maybe you heard about Rock of Grace and maybe you have a different religious background, I want to invite, or I wanted to summarize all this, but I found uh, John 1, one of my favorite passages, and this summarizes it so well. The story of God, listen to this. In the beginning was the Word who is Jesus. Everybody say Jesus. He is the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. I know it's a mouthful, but He is the Word of God, the confession of God, the declaration of truth about God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through Him. Nothing was created except through Him. That Word, Jesus, gave life to everything. The reason that you have breath in your lungs, Jesus gave life to you. That's why you can have a corpse, you can have a body. If it doesn't have, lo- if it doesn't have uh, lungs, right, air in the lungs, there's not life. You have the body, but you don't have life. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. The light shines in the darkness. The darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about this light. Why? So everyone, ever say everyone. Come on, shout it. Say everyone. See, one of the, one of the biggest deceptions of the enemy in the church right now is that only some should be in the church building. One of the biggest deceptions is is if you think like this, if you vote like this, if you look like this, if you grew up in this neighborhood, come on, no. Jesus says everyone's invited. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, Acts says. And look at this verse. Everyone might believe about the testimony. Whose testimony? The testimony of John the Baptist. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to the light. He's the one who talks about the true light, the light to everyone, the light that was coming into the world. Verse 10, he came into the very world he created, but they didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and they rejected him. But to all who believed, everybody say believed. To all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God, which is my favorite concept in all of theology, all of life, all of everything, is this idea of sonship. We are the children of God. Turn to your person next to you and say, brother or sister, whatever, the guy or girl, whoever it is, say, you're my brother, you're my sister. Okay? They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting in human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. So the word became human. He made his home among us. We use this verse often in December, right? But this is so good. Listen to this. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory that could only come from the Son. John testified about him shouting to the crowds, this is the one I was talking about. Someone is coming after me far greater than me. From his abundance, we've all received one gracious abundance blessing after another. The law was given to Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness comes through Jesus. I love the name Jesus. Do you love the name Jesus? I love, I just love saying the name Jesus. Sometimes when I don't know what to pray, I just say Jesus. He is love. And his love is always his motivation. And God, motivated by love, sent Jesus Why? To save you and invite you to the party. 
How else do you know that you need saved? Look at your kids. Come on, somebody. <laughs> Did you have to teach your kids not to say no? I have a little 20-month-old right now. His favorite word is a version of no. It's let go. Can't, can't say much else, but if I try to take candy or something away, I, Lucas speaks perfect, perfectly. He says, let go. <laughs> he's like this tall, let go. The problem is when he's 15, he's going to be bigger than me, and I'm going to be like, let go. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Somebody sent me a picture the other day. This is going to be like the Elf movie, you know, where he's on my, I'm like, wow, thank you. That just made me feel great. This church is so loving. Somebody's like, look how short you are. <laughs> okay. Love it. Um, number two, God's love not only saves us, it sustains us. Guys, I can't express to you how much I love my kids, and so I express to them all the time how much I love them. Right? So I'm loving them, I'm hugging them, kissing their forehead, seeing what they need. I didn't just stop loving them after they were born. I didn't say, hey, good luck, and pat them on the back. No, I'm with them forever. I'm committed to them. They're, my love will sustain them. Come on. Even if a, a boyfriend breaks up for them, I say, hey, you know, I will never break up with you. Right? I'll always be your dad. It sustains them. We are loved by Father God even more than that. God's love for you is so incredible. And listen to this. I, wanted, I don't know who this is for, but listen, 1 John 4, 18, there is no fear in love. But perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. So if you say, well, I'm afraid that God is going to just smite me down. I'm afraid God is going to do this. I'm afraid God. No, listen, that's not how God wants you to think. He wants his love to push out all that fear. And, and it's my favorite, one of my favorite things to preach on. We'll save more for another day, but his love pushes out all that fear. You see, there is a harvest of people who need to know this truth. There is a harvest of people who live in fear. I highlighted this because, look, I, I don't want you to miss it. There's a lot of people who live in fear and have not been yet perfected in love. So when they hear about uh, their investment, their 401K or something going awry or the company being bought out and, you know, I'm sorry to tell you this, but you lost your retirement plan and now there's fear, now there's anxiety, you can come in and say, hey, do you know I have a key to life that will make you to where you won't even fear? Because you're different, right? We don't, we don't live like that. And if you have been living like that lately, let God remind you right now. Let God drive out fear of the future. I was telling somebody the other day, the reason why I've become more comfortable with taking risks is because I know I'm already loved. Come on, let that sink in. So if I take a big risk and it doesn't work out, God doesn't go, it's over. I'm so, I'm already loved by him. I'm so loved by him. If something doesn't work out, I'm not afraid. Somebody hold up your hand and say, I'm getting it. Turn to John 7 and John 8. Jesus says this on the heels 
of the Feast of Tabernacles. John 7, 8, this is the Feast of Tabernacles. He's there with his disciples. Some Pharisees have surrounded him. And he says this in John 8, 12. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Now, I was studying more this week, and I love to, like, look at the chapter before and the chapter after, after to get the context. And I want to encourage you to do that when you're reading the Bible, too. And when I saw that this was the Feast of Tabernacles, I remembered that in the Feast of Tabernacles, they're celebrating, they're having a party. They're having a party. They're celebrating that God gave them a pillar of cloud by day and a fire by night. Now, I know we don't have this in 2021, but listen, I want you just to imagine this, okay? In fact, everybody just look up at the ceiling. Imagine a 100-foot fire torch constantly. How many of y'all would be impressed? I'd be like, this church is amazing. Right? And the Feast of Tabernacles was Israel's way of remembering the light. So Jesus is at the Feast of Tabernacles and he says, I am the light of the world. And it hit me like a ton of bricks. Listen, the re part of the reason there was this, there's this cloud and this fire by night was not just to give this giant flashlight. Come on, that's what it was. You can see where, it's not just a giant flashlight. It was the light of the world. Surrounding nations would be like, listen, if you're going to mess with Israel, you better get ready. You better join up with about three other countries. I mean, no, they always did that. Why? Because they have a stinking fire torch above their tabernacle. Right? And Jesus is there at the Feast of Tabernacles while they're celebrating that. And he says, I am the light of the world. That's a bold statement. What is he saying? He is the fulfillment of the glory of God. He is the light. He is the glory. That's why 1 Corinthians um, 3, my, one of my favorite passages, right? He says, we behold this glory. We look upon the face of Jesus and our face is transformed into his image. And we are transformed glory to glory day by day. Right? As the glory of God fills us. Wow. And Jesus is saying this, by the way, everyone's invited. You see, it's the Old Testament and the New Testament working together to reveal the beauty and the power of Jesus. Wow. I want to invite you to believe in the one, if you're taking notes, write this down, believe in the one who suffered so you could celebrate. Believe in the one who suffered so you could celebrate. Romans 8 says nothing can condemn you. God's love is so great for you. No family member's accusation. I'm going to say that again. No family member's accusation can stop the love of God and the truth of God about what you and him can have together. Right? Nothing. 
See, I know what some of you are dealing with lately, and it's difficult. It's difficult. Issues in the family. But Romans 8 says this. No height, no valley. Come on. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Man, I could preach on that all day, but I won't. Don't say amen right there. Don't say amen. Number three, God's love saves us, sustains us, and satisfies us. Like a good preacher, I used all the same letter. Come on, everybody say this with me. God's love saves us, sustains us, and satisfies us. Look at your spouse or your kid or a random stranger and say, God's love saves us, sustains us, and satisfies us. Listen, this is my favorite part of the sermon. Because the world is going to try so hard to convince you that you need what they have to offer. But the problem is the world promises you something they cannot give you. And Jesus alone can give you what he promises you. Men, the world is going to say... You have, to, you have to take out that huge loan to get that new truck because then you're going to be really cool. Listen, I feel great rolling up in my minivan with Maverick City. Come on. I don't even care. Right? Got the little electric seat. Like, that's right. This is high class, you know. This is Honda. I say no, Hyundai. I don't know who's got a Hyundai. I'm just kidding. I'm, I mean, <laughs> everybody with a Hyundai just left the church right there. I'm like, dude, I got a Hyundai. Anyway, but the world's going to tell you, man, you got to have this new, you know, then, then you will be satisfied. And women, the world's going to say the same thing. L'Oreal's going to tell you, if you just get this skin cream, listen, I know you're 58, but you'll look 28. It's going to be amazing. Just drop a buck, nip and tuck, you'll be glad. You'll be so glad. I worked on that this morning for like 10 minutes. Did I nail it? Good, I was hoping. Who wants to hear it again? Okay. The world's going to tell you, just drop a buck, nip and tuck, and you're all good. <laughs> then you'll be satisfied. Then, then. Okay, then I'll be happy. No, 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 no. You can be happy now. You say happy, Jesus doesn't promise my happiness. John 10, 10. I got a million of those verses. He came to give you life and life more abundantly, right? Here's, here's my favorite theological statement of the day. Jesus makes you happy. That's my thesis is Jesus. You say, that's too simple. Well, you wouldn't have liked Jesus preaching either. Jesus is like the kingdom of God is so awesome, a man found it in a field and he bought the whole field. And he walks away. His sermons were like 30 seconds. Nobody get excited like I'm going to start preaching 30 seconds. Don't look at me like that, Paul. That's, listen, Jesus comes to satisfy you right here. Because right here, you have a longing that only Jesus can fill. Only Jesus can fill that. Why do you think the majority, not some, the majority of lottery winners end up in bankruptcy? 
because they think they finally win the jackpot and yay, I have a thousand enemies now. Money can't do it. Position can't do it. Power can't do it. Only the presence of Jesus can satisfy you right here where you live and think. That's why you can be making 10000 a year and be ecstatic. Some of the happiest people I make live well below the average income. Why? They know Jesus as their very best friend. And you can too. John 7, we'll close with this. I'm going to have the ushers prepare communion. We're going to offer communion and we're going to close with communion as our altar call. Listen to John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, this is a party. Remember, everyone's invited to the party. Some of them even at the party don't believe other people should be at the party. This is why Jesus gives two parables about a party. He's so clear. I love that. On the last day of the party, Jesus stood out or stood up and cries out, If anyone thirst, let him come to me and drink. For whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed were about to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. This is another verse I like to use when I'm teaching on the Holy Spirit is the spirit of Jesus. Because Jesus says, come to me and you'll never thirst again. Come to me. And then scripture says, what is he saying? He's talking about the Holy Spirit who is going to be poured out on the day of Pentecost. And see, guys, it's the spirit of God that will satisfy you. And if you're not a person of faith and you say, well, what do you mean the spirit of God? I mean the personhood of God. Not the name title, not the, not the uh, body, if you will, but the spirit. In other words, if I were to say, if I were to say, um, if I were to say Danielle, if I describe Danielle, I could say, okay, Burnett, you know, five, seven, blue eyes, whatever, but I'm not talking about her spirit. If I talk about her spirit, I'm saying, Danielle, oh, she's compassionate, she's kind, uh, and, and she loves to befriend people. These are, these are her spirit. Everybody get what I'm saying? Her spirit. You see, God has a spirit. It's his likeness. It's who he is. And Jesus came to illustrate who he is. And so when he says, come to me, and you'll never thirst again. You'll never have a desire to be uh, satisfied. You'll never be striving again. Looking for purpose, looking for happiness, looking for joy. God and God alone can, can satisfy you. Amen? So I want to give an opportunity right now before we take communion. Before we take communion, I want to give an opportunity for somebody to come to know Jesus. And I want to do it different. I feel led to do this different. I'm not going to ask everybody to bow your head. I know that's normal. I like to do that. It's between you and God. Absolutely, it's between you and God. Absolutely. But one of the verses in my text that I left out was Jesus says this, if you, if you deny me in front of people, then I will deny you in front of my Father on that day. But if you accept me, right? If you accept me, if you will receive me, if you will admit your need for me, I will, I will raise you up. See, we have to come to the table, not just to come to the table, we have to come to the table, what? Thankful, humble, saying, God, I don't deserve to be here, but I'm so glad I am.
And if you wanna accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, you say, I need this Jesus you've been talking about all day. Would you raise your hand nice and high? You need Jesus, amen. I see the hand, young man, thank you. Yes, thank you, that rededication. God is so good, come on. Do you need Jesus? Do you need to say, I need to become a child of God? I've been a person who's maybe not a person of faith or I used to be, whatever your story is, God knows your story and he's calling you into the family. Anybody else? Uh, Let's pray this together. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me in the midst of my mess. Thank you for forgiving me before I even repented. Thank you for dying in my place so I wouldn't have to be punished. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. Make me your child, God. Jesus, become my brother. I'm so thankful for you. I commit my life to you. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, come on, let's stand up. Before we take communion, let's just give God a shout of praise. Come on, can we praise God? All the angels in heaven are lifting up their voices right now. Jesus, we praise you for your goodness. You may be seated. We want to se- close this with the time of communion. We're going to pass out the bread first, and we're going to celebrate. Usually communion is a little different after worship. Thank you. And it's somber. It's a remembering. And yes, we're going to remember, but we're going to remember in light of what Jesus said. We're going to remember today in light of what Jesus said. I shared this last time we had communion, that Jesus used verbiage that described a wedding and the wedding reception. He was describing a Hebrew wedding and a Hebrew reception. And it's so powerful. Because when he took the elements, when he took the, the wine, he actually said, I will not drink of the vine again until I'm with you in my father's house. And that was something that they said at a wedding. It was just like saying, till death do us part, for better or for worse. Do you know God, do you know Jesus is committed to you even though he knows you're gonna have some better or worse days? His commitment didn't change. Oh, let that sink in. His commitment to you doesn't change. And Romans 5, 8 says this, while we were still sinners, the amplified version of the Bible says that while we were enemies of the cross, Jesus came and died for us. I don't know about you, but that makes me so grateful. Because I know on my own, I make a huge mess of things. But because Jesus has forgiven me of my sin, he teaches me what Paul calls a better way. 
a better way to handle my mistakes, my regret, my conflict with, with, with a friend or a relative or something. He teaches me a better way. He teaches me to forgive, to show grace, to look at them the way Jesus looks at them. So I want you to take that bread and hold it and say, Jesus, thank you. Look at those broken edges. Say, Jesus, thank you for being broken for me. Thank you for dying in my place. Thank you for being beaten for me. Go ahead, tell them that. Thank you for being beaten for me. Thank you for being whipped for me. Thank you for suffering so I could celebrate. After you thanked him, go ahead and partake. Next, at the Last Supper, he had told them to do this in remembrance of me. And he said that the, that the wine represented his blood. Now, as Gentiles, some of them knew about Hebrew tradition. Some of them had heard about it. Some of them maybe grew up hearing about it. I, undoubtedly, some of them had friends who had even memorized the Torah right? Undoubtedly, some of them heard about the blood of the lamb that was sprinkled on the Ark of the Covenant. We sang about it earlier. And so when Jesus tells them that he is the lamb and that his blood is going to wash them clean and that his blood is being spilt, and my blood is being spilt for you, they understood what he was saying. Even if they didn't understand to the full degree, they were understanding. He's saying that he is the lamb. He is the sacrifice. And what's remarkable about Jesus, Hebrews says he's not only the high priest that goes into offer, he offers himself. He is the high priest and he is the sacrifice. Creating a better way, a new and living way, Hebrews says, for us to enter the Holy of Holies. Why can you know a perfect and holy God? Because of the blood of Jesus. Why can you come into a church and raise your hands and worship and not have any shame? Because of the blood of Jesus. Why can you go to a life group and and enjoy their company and not worry about what people think of you because of the blood of Jesus. Because it makes everybody a brother or a sister. Because you're forgiven. You're already loved. His blood purifies us of all unrighteousness. First John says, if we just confess our sin to him. Are you so thankful for that? I'm so thankful for that. Take that juice and hold it up and say, Jesus, thank you. Say, thank you for the blood that washes me clean. Thank you for taking my place. I admit my need for you. 
not just the day I accepted you, but every day since. I need you. Your grace sustains me. Every day I need the gospel. Every day I need you, Jesus, to purify my heart and to prepare me for that great day, that wedding feast. After you've thanked him, go ahead and partake. Can we stand out to our feet? Should be a little cup holder in front of you in the back of the seat. Can we just lift up our hands to heaven and just say, Jesus, thank you. Come on, say it however you'd like to say it. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, that you suffered so we could celebrate. God, that you died in our place and you rose to, to new life and you give us new life. We're so thankful that we are your harvest, Lord. We're thankful, God, for the people who came into your family today. God, we're so thankful, Lord. We pray that as this series continues, that you will put uh, your spirit in us that would invite people into the harvest, that would invite more people. In fact, could we all just, can we pray together? Can we do that for just a moment? Say this with me. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that your spirit would come to this region in such a way that my coworkers and my neighbors would feel your presence, feel your love, and be invited to know you. Use my mouth to invite them into the kingdom. Now that's a dangerous prayer, so we better say it again. Say it carefully. Say, God, use my mouth to invite more into the family, to the party. In Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. Love you guys. Have a great Sunday.